are some words of wisdom from Mr. Know-It-All. Expect the unexpected. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, sir. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. I'm calling today's episode A Day in the Life. And what I wanted to talk about today was our everyday lives. That may sound a little strange, but if you think about what this podcast has been about for the past three plus years, it's really about the stories of things that have happened to me throughout my life. Most of them long ago, because, you know, I am an old dude. Some of them more recent. But what I wanted to do with this podcast was preserve those stories. I wanted to be able to share those stories with you today and anybody who wants to listen to them down the road. And I also wanted to relive them for myself. Because one of the things that I've realized as I've gotten older is those stories from my childhood, they start to fade. So much happens in your life as you're getting older. You have so many experiences. You do so many things. You go so many places that sometimes you forget some of the stuff that happened to you. So sometimes it's nice to relive those moments, which is one of the reasons that I do the podcast. I've also talked about one of the other reasons is to explain to folks younger than me, my kids, my friends, my online family, how life was different and how life has changed so much in just a few years. But when I'm doing these episodes, I always have to go back to the day-to-day life that I used to live. And of course, the stories focus on the highlights, the big things, the things that still stick in my head. But as we all know, we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. We get up in the morning, we eat our breakfast, if that's what we do. We go to our job, we go to school, whatever we're doing. We have our lunch break, we do our afternoon whatever, we have our dinner, and then we have our evenings. That's basically everybody's day-to-day life. And during those days, things happen. Some of them very boring, some of them very mundane. And so what I wanted to do today was recount just what a day-to-day life was like for me as a really young kid as I remember it. And I also wanted to talk about the value of recording your own day-to-day life. And by recording, I actually do mean like a journal, a diary, whatever you want to call it. Because there's a lot of benefit, not only to you, but to future generations, either of your family or of your friends or just people. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I used to have a diary. I kept a diary when I was in 6th, 7th, 8th grade. It wasn't a fancy diary. It was really like a desk calendar, and it had boxes for each date. So I didn't have a lot of room to enter a lot of stuff, but I remember entering stuff on this calendar pretty much every day. And it wasn't big things. It was just things that happened. And I remember doing that, but I also remember somewhere in my 20s, during one of my many moves, getting stuff in and out of my parents' house, going from one location to another, somewhere along the way, I just tossed them. Now, sitting here today, I wish that I hadn't. I wish that I still had those to go back to to review what was going on in my life at those times, because those were tough times. Those were some very difficult years for me, and I'd like to revisit my mindset back then. And I think that's why I was recording things in a diary or in a calendar, however you want to phrase it, because I wanted to document what was going on in my head, what I was feeling, what I was thinking, places I was going, things that I was doing, people I loved, people I hated. I'm sure I had a hate list. I'm sure I had a love list. It was a tough time, but I tossed them. And after those years, I didn't write anything down as a journal again until my kids came along. But there's a whole long window there where there was stuff going on in my life that I wasn't writing down, that I was just committing to memory. 
And as I said, as you get older, your memory starts to fill up. There's only so much room up there. I'm firmly convinced there's only so much room in your memory. So things get left out or tucked away in a compartment in the back. They're only triggered after something happens. So one of the suggestions I have, and I've made this suggestion before, and I know that I have, but I'm returning to it. I'm going to suggest that you keep a journal, keep a diary. Even if you write down the most mundane things in your life, it's something you'll be able to revisit down the road. You can go over it with your kids or your grandkids. Yeah, sure, you'll have your Instagram account. You'll have your YouTube channel. You'll have your Facebook page, assuming all that stuff lasts. But if you write your own journal, and I mean write, on a piece of paper, with a pencil or a pen, if you keep your own journal, you'll always have that. Now, before I get to the details of my mundane little life, as much as I remember it as a kid, I want to preface this by saying I've always been fascinated by the day-to-day life of people in different times. I wonder what it must have been like to be alive when Abraham Lincoln was around. I wonder what it was like to be alive during the American Revolution. What was it like growing up in Africa or India or China or England back in the 1400s, the 1500s, the 1600s? What was life like? And I'm not talking the big events, the Crusades, the Boxer Rebellion, any of those big things that happened. I'm not talking the historical things. What was it like for John Smith to be working a farm in India in 1479? It would be fascinating to me to get a flavor of what that was like. Now, I know not everybody shares that kind of feeling. Not everybody cares what John Smith was doing in 1479. I have much more of a historical interest than some, but I know other people go through their day-to-day lives and they don't know what they did yesterday and they don't care. But to me, it's fascinating. And to me, I'd love to know what my parents' day-to-day life was like. I wish my dad or my mom had kept a journal of their teenage years so I could see what they were up to, see what was important to them, see what was going on in their world. One of the things that I've saved from their papers is their letters and their cards, and I'm going to revisit them and try to get a sense of what their lives were like when they were younger than me. I have letters between my grandparents. I've read a few of them, but what I'd like to do is go back and read all of them to see what their lives were like. What was it like for grandma and grandpa? Because if it wasn't for grandma and grandpa, and the fact that they were exchanging love letters and loved each other, I wouldn't be here. Now, as I was prepping today's episode, I did a little research online. I found that the Smithsonian Institute, in its archives, has collections of diaries of artists. And what it looks like is the estates or the families of these artists have donated their diaries to the Smithsonian. And the Smithsonian has digitized them so that you can go to the Smithsonian's page. You can look it up if you want to. But you can go to the Smithsonian's webpage and find links to these diaries. And they're diaries for super famous, well-known artists and some less well-known. And granted, these are artists' diaries. This isn't John Smith running a farm somewhere. But I took a little dive down that rabbit hole just to see what kind of things were there. And these are the kind of things that I'm talking about as far as day-to-day living entries in a diary are concerned. Now, this stuff fascinates me. It may bore you to tears. I hope it doesn't. But for instance, I found the entries in a diary by Gertrude Abercrombie. Gertrude Abercrombie was an American painter. She lived from 1909 to 1977, and her diaries are at the Smithsonian. And you can go to the webpage, and you can actually call up pictures of the actual diary. It's a calendar-type diary, and you can see her handwriting. And I pulled just a couple entries, because it fascinates me just what day-to-day life was like back in 1919. Now, Gertrude was 10 when she made these entries, and it's just her day-to-day life. March 24th, 1919. We always used to go down in Jane Bigelow's basement and go in that cubby hole and tell ghost stories. 
We all thought it was a secret passageway and something very mysterious. We were all afraid of it. That's it. That's the entry. But to me, that's pretty cool. Back in 1919, they were going into Jane's basement and telling ghost stories. And if you put your mind in where they were in 1919, who knows if they had electricity in that basement? So it was little girls going into the basement to tell ghost stories. To me, that's cool. It's just a little slice of life. It makes Gertrude more real. She had an entry on Tuesday the 25th as well. Elsie, Orny, and I used to get our big baby dolls. Hers had real smooth, wavy, reddish hair. And go to her front porch and play house. I would have one side and she would have the other. Her doll's name was Harriet, her favorite name, and mine's name was Elsie. That's it. That's the entry. But again, that's fascinating to me. Two little girls playing house on the porch with Elsie and Harriet. It just gives me a little flavor of what her life was like. It gives me a little inkling of what life in 1919 was like. They went in the basement and told ghost stories and they played house on the porch. I don't know why that fascinates me, but it does. There's another diary there that I came across. Charles Green Shaw. He's a famous abstract artist in the United States. His diaries are from 1963 and 1964. And just one of the entries from September 7th, I believe it's 1964, just fascinated me because of the way he enters things. He goes through his whole day. And what an interesting day. Rise at 5.30 a.m. Dark. Exercise. Breakfast in dining room. Say goodbye to G, who comes downstairs. Red M.A. Taxi calls at 6.45. The sun comes out. To Steamboat Pier. Board Steamer. Get seat inside fort. Red M.A. Move to other side, where I chat with Al Emerson the rest of the crossing. Arrive at Woods Hole at 10.15, where Domingo meets me at bus terminal. Drive to New Bedford. Around 11.25, Kay Walsh is waiting. She drives me to the Brooks. Arrive at 12.30. Change shirt, etc., have drink to Bailey's Beach with HWB. Say hello to the learners, the Warrens, M. Whitehorse, and M. Capperton. Have drinks and lunch with F. and HWB. Return to house, sleep two hours. Bathe, shave, and dress for dinner. Have drinks to H. Hook's house where we dine. Thence to Van Allen Casino Theater to Opera Ball after. Have drinks. Return to house at 1.50, turn in 2 a.m. Now that's a full day, right? And lots of drinking. Now that's a one-page diary entry of a very full day with all kinds of references. And by the way, there's asterisks in there. And if you look at the actual diary, which you can on the Smithsonian's page, he has references for all of the asterisks on the next page. So if you want to know who some of the initialed people are, you can check. But that's what I mean about the day-to-day life. Sometimes the mundane is fascinating. I mean, look at that guy. How many times did he have drinks that day? But you also get a little slice of, he got up early, had breakfast, took the steamer across to Woods Hollow, had to get changed for lunch, had to get changed again for dinner. He must have been carrying a suitcase with him to do all this. I mean, who carries clothes with them on a day trip? Now, my day-to-day life when I was growing up was not nearly that exciting or that full of alcohol. Although there were periods of my life where there was a lot more alcohol than there is now. But like, for instance, when I was a kid, On a typical school day, and again, this is the days, no internet, no computers, no Walkman, no Discman. We found ways to entertain ourselves. So we would get up in the morning. For instance, I would get up between 7 and 7.30 on a school day. I always heard my dad's garage door close because he would close the garage door when he left. 
and that would basically serve as my alarm clock on a school day because my dad's garage was directly under my bedroom. So whenever he put the door up and whenever he closed it, it would rattle the floorboards of my room. So it would wake me up and I'd hear it slam shut. And I would get up and I would have breakfast. And breakfast for me was a bowl of cereal. Whatever cereal we had, usually something like cornflakes, frosted flakes. We'd occasionally have sugar smacks, which I think they call honey smacks now because we don't say sugar in cereal anymore. It was sugar smacks, sugar pops, sugar everything. It was basically sugar-coated cereal. But we don't say that anymore. Even though it's exactly the same thing now, we've just called it something different. But it would be a bowl of cereal, and then it would be out to the bus stop. My recollection is that sometimes mom would be up. We would be getting ourselves ready for school, but mom would be making lunches. Sometimes she would do it the night before. Sometimes she would do it the morning of. I don't specifically remember exactly what the ratio was, whether it was 50-50 or 70-30, but she was often up when we left. And when I say we, my brother and sister and me, but she was often up when we left, or at least when I left. I left earlier because I was a couple of years ahead of my siblings and my school started earlier. So I would be out the door first, usually, and I'd go to the bus stop and I'd wait for the bus. Now, the bus stop in the neighborhood had all of the kids from the neighborhood, at least in middle school it did. It was about a quarter of a mile up the road. And I remember, it was where our road intersected a road called Hillside Terrace. Hard to forget, Hillside Terrace. And we'd wait for the bus there. And all the kids would be standing around at the bus stop. Sometimes you'd talk to the neighbor kids. Sometimes you didn't. And we'd get together in our little groups. We were all slightly different ages. Some of us were in fifth grade. Some of us were in sixth grade. Some of us were in seventh grade. And of course, the seventh graders didn't talk to the fifth graders. Just wasn't done. That's not the way the system worked. And then the bus would come around and we'd hop on the bus. Now, I remember always wanting to sit in the back seats because the back seats were cool. You got a great ride. If the bus went over a bump, you got a really big jolt, which I thought was cool on the very few occasions that I actually got to sit in the back. But all of the older kids and all of the cool kids always grabbed the back seats first. There was no assigned seats. Whoever got there first got the good seats. There was no bus aids when I was a kid. Nowadays, they have bus aids. They call them bus aides. I think they're mostly supposed to be security guards because I guess kids don't know how to behave on the bus anymore. I mean, we got on the bus. We sat down. If anybody was acting up when I was a kid on the bus, all the bus driver had to do was look up in that big rear view mirror they had that was as wide as the bus and he could see pretty much everything going on back there. All he had to do was look up in that, give a scowl, and we were all very scared of the bus driver. So we settled down. Anybody who was acting up, they stopped acting up. Our bus driver was a big old dude, Mr. Ort. Mr. Ort, I learned later in life, owned a farm in town. Kind of drove the buses a sideline. I also learned later in life that Mr. Ort also owned the buses. So not only was a farmer, he was also a businessman who ran the buses for the school system. But at the time, all we knew him as was Mr. Ort the bus driver. And if Mr. Ort glowered at you through that rearview mirror, you cut the nonsense. Now the bus trip to school, probably 15 minutes to get to the school. And the bus was full. The capacity was something like 54 kids, and we were pretty much at 54. There was a lot of kids on that bus. And he'd drop us off at school, and we had to get off the bus and file into the school. Now, middle school was where we had homeroom. So you had to go to your homeroom class, which is where you would have what passed for a locker. It was basically your home base room, and then you'd switch classes for each of your classes. So you'd have to go down the hall for history, change to another room for math, change to another room for English, and so on throughout the day. Now, do I remember any of the details of this? I don't remember the details because it was, you know, kind of boring. You switched classes, that was it. Now, one thing I remember from middle school is I wanted to be on what was called the safety patrol. The safety patrol was made up of kids who were hall monitors. 
They were the kids who would tell you not to run, to stay on your side of the hall. They would be there at the beginning and the end of the day, during the lunch periods as well, making sure people weren't wandering through the halls who shouldn't be. And you got to wear a little safety belt. It was a bright orange or bright white belt, depending on how long you'd been in the safety patrol. And the belt fit around your waist and had a shoulder strap. And you got a little badge that said safety patrol. And I thought it would be cool to be in the safety patrol because, you know, cool belt and a badge. I was such a little nerd and so naive. I thought the safety patrol was cool. All the cool kids viewed the safety patrol as the narcs. But I thought it would be cool. Oh, I get to monitor things and make sure things were going right. That sounds like it's right up my alley. I mean, being the rule reader, I don't mind enforcing the rules. I didn't realize it was one of the most hated positions in the school. So I applied for the safety patrol, and I got accepted to be in the safety patrol. But the problem is, in the safety patrol, they had weekly meetings. And the problem for me is the weekly meetings were at the same time as my music classes. And the school wouldn't let me do both. I remember having a meeting. I guess it was with the principal or the vice principal. I can't remember exactly who. But I remember having a meeting, pleading my case that I should be able to do both. And they said, "Mm, no. So I picked my music over the safety patrol, which in hindsight was probably a wise choice because I was already hated enough in school. Being the smart fat kid was already its own badge of dishonor. If I'd added safety patrol to that mix, who knows what would have become of me. But yeah, our day-to-day lives in school involved switching classes, walking through the halls, going to lunch. And I remember the cafeteria. The cafeteria was technically not a cafeteria. It was a gymnasium where the kitchen was situated right next to it. And they set up these folding picnic tables in the gym and they called it the cafeteria. So we'd go to the cafeteria and that's where we'd have our lunch. Now they did have the kitchen and you could buy lunch, but lunch was always boring. I remember Friday was always Pizza Friday, but it wasn't like real pizza, like from the pizza parlor. This was Pizza Friday where they would serve you that Elio's square pizza and you'd get a slice of that and some mixed vegetables and you could get a carton of milk or chocolate milk. Those were your choices. That was it. I remember Sloppy Joe Wednesday. It wasn't every Wednesday. It was like every other Wednesday they'd have Sloppy Joes. Now, Sloppy Joes were good, so I would actually ask my mom if I could buy lunch that day. Hot dogs were a staple. At least once a week there was hot dogs. I don't remember any of the other meals. I want to say there was fish sticks, but it was all easy, quick stuff that they could make for a bunch of kids to eat at lunchtime. Normally, I would bring lunch. Peanut butter and jelly, bologna, liverwurst oh yeah liverwurst was a thing i'll talk about liverwurst at another time but yeah liverwurst was cheap and we had it thankfully not often we were more a bologna and peanut butter and jelly family but if liverwurst was on sale boy (laughs) we had to suffer through that as well so we would do lunch at the school and then we'd have afternoon classes and the same routine would continue we'd have to switch classes between rooms music of course was in the music room we actually had shop classes metal shop one year wood shop the next year So we'd go over to the shop room and it was literally a shop room. They had big machines there. They actually taught us middle schoolers how to use big machines like a lathe. They taught us how to weld. Oh yeah, they taught us a lot of stuff in shop class. Gym class, of course. What a nightmare that was. Gym class in middle school, they had a new gym. And in that new gym, they had new locker rooms. And in those new locker rooms, they had showers. And they expected us to shower in middle school. But the showers in middle school were not like private showers. They weren't stalls. I remember a tile bathroom with a room off to the side where the showers were. And there were three poles in the middle of the shower room. And coming out of these three poles were four or five shower heads. So basically 15 to 20 shower heads in the locker room 
where all of the boys were supposed to shower. Because after gym class, you're all sweaty and they want you to shower. They want you to practice good hygiene. Now think for a second about yourself in the 5th, the 6th, the 7th grade. Imagine how easy it is going to be for those kind of kids to strip down and jump in the shower with all the other kids. And that's what they expected of us. There were no curtains. It was just a giant shower room with water spraying. That was it. I think I showered twice in my entire middle school career. Because talk about body image issues, I had them. The last thing I needed was people laughing and pointing at me while I'm standing naked in a shower room. So I always found a way out of it. After the first couple of times where people laughed and pointed, I had enough of that. So I wound up going home smelly most of the time. But yeah, that's one of the little indignities that middle school heaped on me. Oh yeah, naked showers with all the boys. That's not going to affect your self-image at all. So you'd get through your day, you'd go through your music, your shop, your gym classes, and then you'd hop on the bus to head back home. And the bus was basically the reverse of the trip to school. And again, we were all mostly well-behaved on the bus because, you know, Mr. Ork. And after the bus dropped us off, we'd head for home and we'd change out of our school clothes into our play clothes. Because we couldn't ruin our good clothes. We had our crappy clothes, you know, the ones with the holes in them. The ones that didn't quite fit anymore. The ones where you ripped the seam on the seat. Mom had to stitch it, but it never fit quite right. So it was play clothes now. So we would change into our play clothes. We'd have our little snack. Sit down and watch some Bugs Bunny. Some Munsters. Mom would say, Okay, you can go outside. But only for an hour. I want you home in time to get your homework done before dinner. Okay, Mom, yeah. We'll make sure. Then we'd have about an hour outside to do some playing. Kickball, basketball, tag, whatever. A wide variety of games that we'd play outside with the kids in the neighborhood. And it depends on who was around. It also depended on who was not in trouble, who might be grounded, who might have a project to do. If there was a core of about eight kids, so if we had the maximum kids out there, including me and my siblings, we might have 11 kids total in the neighborhood. But the groups were anywhere from three to eight, usually, who would get together to play. And really, my core group was about four. And depending on the weather and depending on the time of year, we might play board games, we might play outside, we might play inside, and we'd play for about an hour until mom called us home because we didn't have watches, we didn't keep track. We'd wait for mom's call and mom would be on the front porch. Gamer dude. Yeah, mom, I'm coming. And then we'd have to sit down and get our homework done. Dad always came home at 5.30 and between the time we got home and the time dad got home, we'd be doing homework. And I remember doing homework and hearing the garage door go up. And mom and dad would talk for that half hour between 5.30 and 6. Dad would go get changed. I'd be finishing up homework or maybe watching some TV if my homework was done. 6 o'clock would roll around and we'd be done with the TV because dad would be changed and in his chair, sitting there with his newspapers, because he always brought home the newspapers, and he'd have about 15 to 20 minutes before dinner was ready. Dinner would always be ready between 6.20 and 6.30. And during that time, dad would read the newspapers and watch the news on TV. And yes, watching news on TV was the thing. Kids no longer had rights to the TV after Dad got home. That was it. That was just the way it was. Dad was home and in control. From 6 o'clock until he went to bed, it was Dad's TV. And the good TV, the nice TV, the color TV was the one in the family room where Dad sat for most of the night. So for that five hour or so period, that was Dad's throne room. And if Dad was watching something that we wanted to watch, we'd watch with him. But if he wasn't, we'd go to our bedrooms and find something to do. We did have a TV in the kitchen. It was a small, maybe 13-inch black and white TV. And you could get some channels in there, but you'd have to stand in the kitchen to watch TV. And it was not nearly as fun as watching the color TV in the family room. 
But if there was something really good on that dad wasn't interested in, we'd stand and huddle around the 13-inch TV in the kitchen. Now, there were some nights dad was working on a project down in the basement, moving something around, sorting things, doing whatever things dads do in the basement. And on those rare occasions, we would actually get to watch the TV in the family room when he wasn't there. But boy, as soon as dad came up the stairs, it's dad TV time again. But it was during those evenings where dad was watching something that I wasn't interested in, where I'd be reading books or playing games. Now, playing games, when I say that, I was playing games either with my siblings or, more often than not, playing a game on my own. I've mentioned it before. I would play four-person Monopoly by myself. I'd play all four positions. Why? Because my siblings weren't that interested in playing Monopoly. I happened to love Monopoly, and we couldn't go out after dinner, so it was up to me to entertain myself. And if there was something that came on TV that Dad was interested in and I was interested in, then I'd go out to the family room and watch with him. He and Mom would be sitting out there. We didn't have to sit there with him. We could go to our rooms and entertain ourselves, or we could sit in the family room and watch TV with Mom and Dad. And then my bedtime was usually 10 o'clock in middle school. So by 10 p.m. I had to be in bed. When I was in elementary school, it was like 9 o'clock or earlier for the early years, of course. But it wasn't until I got to high school that I really had a bedtime that was later than 10 o'clock. I think when I became a freshman in high school, that was when I got my 11 o'clock bedtime. And that's when I discovered that dad would usually start to doze between 10 and 11. So I might be able to watch a show between 10 and 11 that he wasn't interested in. But when I was a kid, that was a typical day. That's what a day was like. Now, is there a lot of high drama in a day like that? No, there's not. But just in telling the story today, just in reliving those days, I remembered the showers in middle school. And I remembered how traumatic it was to have to face those showers for the first time. I remembered Mr. Ort on the bus for the first time in years. I haven't thought of Mr. Ort in forever. But as I was telling you about it, I could see Mr. Ort's beady little eyes in that rear view mirror glowering at us kids. And just by the telling of the stories, it brings back the memories, both good and bad, of the childhood that I had. And I want to tell you, there's something cathartic about remembering those days. And there's a warm feeling of nostalgia, of good feelings about remembering what it was like to be a kid. Don't get me wrong, I wouldn't go back and do that again. It was a hard time for me in a lot of ways. But it's also stuff that I'm glad that I can remember. And it's stuff that I'm glad that I experienced because it made me who I am today. And despite all the bumpy parts on the road that got me here, I really am happy with the way I am today. And I'm really happy that I get to share those experiences with you. And I'm really happy that you're listening. So thank you. The thing about telling these stories is that it sparks so many other memories as you talk about the things that happened to you. And getting back to what I said at the very beginning, this is why I encourage you to keep a journal, because it'll help keep your memories fresh. Not for today, not even for five years down the road, but when your memories are 20 years old, 30 years old, they fade a little bit, and sometimes you lose them. As I said, I think there's a value into reliving those memories, both the good and the bad, because it helps us remember where we were, and it helps us appreciate where we are. And that's one of the reasons that I love telling you the stories that I do in story time. It lets me share my experiences with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to them. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate your support and the time that you spend here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.